We are automotive supplier. Our main product was sunroofs and convertible roofs. The other segment is parking heaters. So especially in the Nordics, in Germany, Russia, if you park your car outside, you can heat your car and in the morning it has defrosted windows and you can just enter the car. If you are a market leader already in established markets, it's very difficult to grow, obviously. We need to find new segments, which is charging and batteries for us. I want to break silos, and breaking silos means we are a team, and there's no I in team. <laughs>
that I am advertising. So Webasto is not a household name. Um, so can you explain a little bit what the company is all about? What are the products, the different markets? How big is it? So that we have a bit of a context of, uh, of where you uh, work today. Absolutely. Uh, Webasto is a, a company that is more than 100 years old. It's company owned. Uh, it, it's family owned. Sorry. The company is family owned. Uh, and we are market, we are automotive supplier. We are a supplier to the automotive industry. Um, our main product was sunroofs and convertible roofs. Uh, we have a market share of more than 60% uh, in both segments. So if you see a car, a convertible car, uh, or a car with a sunroof, chance is very high that it's coming from, from Webasto. The other segment yeah. is uh, parking heaters. Uh, um, so especially in the Nordics, in Germany, Russia, uh, if you park your car outside or if you are at a ski resort, you can heat your car. And in the morning when you enter the car, it's frost, it has defrosted windows and you can just enter the car. This was the, this was the traditional segments. The new ones are uh, um, batteries for, for um, commercial vehicles, uh, but also for, for passenger cars and charging stations, wall boxes. To give you an idea, we make about 3.5 billion euro of revenue are about 15,000 employees. So Webasto is, is, is a big engineering company uh, that reinvents a uh, technology company, reinvents itself on a, on a regular basis, uh, and, and one of these big Mittelstand family-owned uh, companies uh, from Germany. So let's talk a little bit about the, um, the change that has been going on in, uh, in your business over the last couple of years. What are the drivers of change today in the organization? I think there are, there are several. The number one is, of course, the trend towards e-mobility, um, mm -hmm. which, uh, which on, the, on the one hand, our customers, the automakers, they have huge investment needs, um, huge capital needs, which, on the other hand, means they are going to, there's a high cost pressure on their suppliers, on us. Uh, um, so, so that's one thing. Uh, uh, so we have high cost pressure in established markets. Uh, on the other hand, we try to participate from that from that new trend, uh, because if you are a market leader already in established markets, it's very difficult to grow. Obviously, so you, we yeah. need, you need to find you need to find new uh, new uh, segments, which is charging and batteries for us. So yeah. we are trying to grow the business without actually increasing our overhead structure. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think is not typical, not only limited to the automotive industry, is the macro environment. We are coming from a very global and open multilateral environment. And we see now in the last, I would start, I don't really know when it started, four or five years ago, we see that regions are actually becoming, uh, moving back into a silo. We, have, we see the Brexit, we see China, we see the US now, it has changed, but, but it, it becomes more from a, from a multilateral, global and open environment. We are moving into compartmentalized uh, bilateral relationships which makes it different. We see it in the supply chains. So if something, something happens somewhere, all of a sudden it's difficult uh, to, get, to get new material. And then of course we have COVID now <laughs> since a year. So and what's the, what has been the impact of that? Was that, was that an opportunity or, or a big setback for the, for the business? It was a, it was a setback, uh, um, um, absolutely. Um, we were a little bit lucky because we are, global, we are globally uh, present. So um, we are now also um, um, benefiting from the recovery in China. Um, so we are present in all in all main regions of the of the earth, uh, and therefore yeah. therefore we are we are doing okay. But of course, it has hurt us badly. Okay. Now let's talk about the the global process organization program that you have uh, put in place over the last couple of years, and and you're the driver of that. Can you? Uh, give us the big picture. What is this program about and what is it trying to, uh, to solve in the company? Okay, so maybe from since I was working in IT, I was always very irritated by this. You mentioned it before, this, the dark side, uh, the light side, IT versus business. There are, there are scientific, uh, scientific papers about IT versus business. And I think it's crap, really. Uh, mm -hmm. It's IT is business. We are part of the business. Uh, you don't say HR versus business, purchasing versus business. It's obviously stupid, and IT versus business is also stupid, in my opinion. So, uh, so sorry for anybody who wrote scientific papers <laughs> on that. Um, so we are, have been always trying to 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 um, turn the organization from functional silos, 
uh, into into meshed closely meshed networks and it's irritating that uh, especially in the automotive industry in some other industries it might be different but uh, we are most most uh, automotive companies are organized in functions you have hr purchasing and so on mm -hmm. and it yeah. uh, but we're actually operating in processes uh, we are operating in networks we are operating cross-functionally but we have functional targets functional kpis functional initiatives um, so um, we came out of a out of a big program where we rolled out a, a technology stack across the whole company, including ERP, CRM, PLM, MES, and so on. Uh, and we had a we had a great functional cross-functional team available. Mm -hmm. And uh, this program came to an end in about 2015, 2016. And we thought, well, what are we going to do with that team? Uh, I mean, they were all in their functions. We, said, we could send them back to their functions and just continue as we did before. Um, and then we had the idea, say, why not, why not turning this organization, these people that know each other very well, who went through a lot of battles, you know, a lot of New Year's Eve somewhere abroad, because <laughs> normally you go live at the end of the change of the year. So we, we had this, this tightly forged and tightly knit team. So why don't we establish it as a, as a permanent organization? Uh, okay. And that was something that proposal took quite some time to convince because it's unusual mm -hmm. uh, because we did not want to have an ivory tower organization. So the special thing about this organization is that every function is actually has a representative in that process organization. So HR is sending a director global HR processes to that. Purchasing does that. Finance does that. Supply chain, operations, R&D and so on. Mm -hmm. So every function is represented. Uh, and each functional director is, has two report, two bosses. One is the functional vice president, and the other one is yep. the head of this global process organization, which happens to be me. Uh, and with this organization, we are trying to actually uh, overcome these functional silos that are typically there. We are trying to build solutions that consider the cross-functional nature of our business, uh, and just to be faster. Uh, and this took about a year to really establish, to, ex to, to, to get the acceptance. Mm -hmm. People need to understand they are part of two teams. They are part of their, of their home base, if you will, their function. And the other, on yeah. the other hand, they are part of that cross-functional team. So that's something that uh, we have established and I think is working quite well and also quite innovative, if I, at least in the automotive and industry. And you're very um, proud of that. You even have on your LinkedIn uh, profile breaking the silos as, as, as your tagline almost. Uh, yes, yes. I, because I really believe that this is the future. Mm -hmm. And so can you give us a couple of examples of the changes that you have implemented through this um, GPO, this global process organization? No, the, the, the changes, the, the, the projects that we did are actually the same one that you, that you do uh, also in a traditional organization. It's just that we are faster. Mm -hmm. I would say that the, okay. the project execution time was reduced significantly, about 30%. We, uh, we enabled the company to grow by about 800 million. Again, of course, not only through that organization, um, but we set up a new plant uh, in a very short time because you have everybody, all the competences that you need, you have on hand. You don't need to establish a team. You don't need to establish rules. You don't need to establish processes. You have a running team that is like a commando unit that is just working. We can in integrate uh, acquired companies very, very fast. Uh, and I think this is, the, this is the main benefit. So we would not do really very different projects, but we would do the projects differently. Okay. So you say by organizing uh, or by having cross-functional teams that know each other qu uh, quite well, that work close together, you can implement change and transformation much quicker than if there would be, if everything would still be organized mainly by in, in silos. Quicker and more effective, yes. The, the impact is higher. You, you create less waste mm -hmm. um, because you know each other, you trust each other. You, I, I, if, if you are, if you cannot, uh, if you are not able to do the job, I can help you because I know you. These kind of things. Okay. And are you, what kind of methodologies are you using in, the, in, in, in this team, in, in that organization? I mean, is, are they using the DevOps and, and all the, the agile methodologies from, from the start? Or? No, from, from the start, we, we were primarily focusing on rollouts, you know, big, mm -hmm. large projects. 
Now, now as these rollouts are, uh, have come to an end, we are doing more and more business transformation, business innovation mm -hmm. projects that yeah. where we are moving. The beginning was more waterfall, uh, waterfall okay. approach, um, because you have a go live at the 31st of December, and then you shut off the old system and turn on the new one, and it has to work. So it's very difficult to work with the MVP and things like this. Mm -hmm. um, but as we are moving into into uh, business transformation projects, it's a continuous, it's a continuum. Uh, so, so their agile methods are absolutely perfect for that. Okay. And yes, we are moving into DevOps also. Uh, now, the uh, uh, another important program for you was the uh, the charging wall box program. Is that an example of of the transformation or the innovation that you could do through this uh, GPR uh, program? Okay, the, the wall box was, of course, not invented by us. It was not invented okay. by IT. It was not even invented by Webasto. Okay, so just to be very clear, what was new for Webasto was traditionally we come from a mechanical background. A sunroof is primarily a mechanical product, uh, um, which you can open and close, basically. Uh, this is the main function. Um, a wall box is, has more and more electronics, uh, uh, electronic components. Uh, it's very different to produce and to, to engineer such a product. Uh, and it's also, uh, it comes with software uh, and with services. Uh, and that's where, where the, the, this cross-functional part became more and more uh, important. So um, to give you an example, about four years ago, we had our first wall box developed. Uh, it was mm -hmm. standalone, not connected. Uh, and we would sell this through resellers. Um, because this is how we sell our parking heaters. Typically, you go to a garage or, or to a to a, a auto a, a, a car shop, and you buy you buy the, the 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 parking heater there, and they buy from Bebasto. That's how we sold uh, sold uh, wall boxes in the beginning. Uh, at the international auto show, uh, we wanted to present a wall box which we would sell directly to the end customer. In and this is and the key was really including the installation because the wall box is just a, a box. But making sure that I find somebody who can install it at your house is not so trivial. And we developed a platform to provide this within only four months uh, mm -hmm. uh, because we could not move the deadline of the International Auto Show. Uh, we, are not, we don't have the power to do that. <laughs> um, so we had this due date uh, and we established this cross-functional team. It included legal, uh, it included, of course, sales, IT, logistics, uh, R&D, all the companies. And, and within four months, we had our, our first product live. Um, and after that, we, we had the first IoT version of that product. And now we are more and more going into connected products, uh, providing, providing uh, load balancing, charge point management systems, and so on. So it's developing. And I think it is important. It's part of my, my philosophy. I don't want to say that this is IT. Because this okay. would be totally, totally counterproductive to what I want, because I want to break silos. And yep. breaking silos means uh, we are a team and there is not such an I, <laughs> there's no I in team. <laughs> okay. Now, let's go back a little bit to the uh, global process organization. You said it, it took some convincing uh, to get the, 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 the global management uh, all aligned on this. Um, what were the steps that you had to take there? Where, where were the issues and how did you overcome them? I would say we were, uh, there were not so many issues. The main, the main issue was really what's to, to answer the question, what's in it for me? Uh, and I think we had quite good answers, both to the functions, because the functions now have a better access to IT. Yeah. Because it's not only that, and that's, that's again, it's not that they are part of IT all of a sudden. IT is also part of them, <laughs> so so it's a mutual it's a mutual win. So they have a, they have a better better access uh, to IT, to IT mm -hmm. solutions, to IT budget. Um, so that was one thing, and the other th other thing was that we really had a very good track record of that team, and, uh, and we said why why wasting that? I mean why why throwing yeah. it away? Um, so it was not really a strategic plan. It was an opportunity, and we said wow. We have that opportunity and either we seize it and, and, uh, and uh, grab it and, and do something with it yep. or just let it go. <laughs> and uh, it was really the, the, it was the right momentum, the right point in time. Uh, and everybody had more 
afterwards and not less. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about these virtual organizations. You can, you can share something and both have more. <laughs> But it's interesting that this idea or the drive of this came from you and from, from, from the IT organization and that it came from implementing big ERP, uh, CRM uh, programs and so on. I don't think many in many organizations we see the same initiative coming from, uh, from, from CIOs, uh, but maybe it had to do with your background in, in business processes as well. I think that's that's one that's one point. The other one is also we had this discussion. Who could uh, I was proposing it because I was the deputy program manager of that pre of the previous program, so I was mm -hmm. somehow I was somehow the obvious choice. Uh, yep. But I asked, hey, we, we really asked, we went to the board and said we have several options. Who could lead that team? Uh, mm -hmm. And IT at least at uh, in at Webasto, we are considered to be neutral. We don't, we're considered to, to have no bias. You know, if I, if I give it, if I give it to the CEO to the, or to the strategy department, you're probably too far away from, from the ground. If you give it to another function, the chance is high that they're using this power that you have all of a sudden yep. for their fun, to their functional advantage. And we are considered neutral, which is probably also part of my, how I interact uh, with, with colleagues. So I, I, I have hopefully a lot of, a lot of allies in the company. Uh, and that's how, that's how I work. Uh, okay. and that, that, that helped a lot, I guess. Great. Now you've done many years ago, the, the big, uh, replatforming ERP CRM. You've organized your, uh, uh, the company around business processes and put that in place to do transformation, innovation programs. Um, you've rolled out or helped to support the rollout very quickly of the charging wall box of, uh, of Webasto. What are the, the current and the future things that you're working on right now? What is the, where, where is your focus today? The, the focus at the moment is we want to bring engineering and operations closer together because uh, we, this whole concept of digital twins have a digital product twin and a digital production twin to do to do engineering uh, not uh, not with, with physical parts uh, and build prototypes and test the prototypes, yeah. but do it in a in a digital and virtual way, uh, where 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 R and D operations and IT are work, working very closely together. Simulation is very important there in that in that respect. So that's that's one of the, one of the key topics uh, that we are looking for, and also of course make use of we have we are on a on a relatively harmonized technology stack. So we are creating relatively harmonized sets of data compared compared to other companies that have twenty ERP systems. So we have one. Uh, okay. So um, so that uh, now making use of that, we have one MES system. So uh, making making use of that data, I think, is the the priority that I would like to to put on. We invested, I think, seven or eight years to get to this common platform, and now mm -hmm. I want to use it and not change it again. You know, okay. I want to I want to build on that common stack. Of course, some some colleagues say we would like to use the brand new ERP system and introduce it. And say, guys, we just built it. Let's let's make use of it. So you've you've built all these uh, standardized platforms that create pretty standardized data. So how do you where do you see the opportunities to monetize these uh, these data now? Okay, um, this plat this unified platform we have primarily internally within the company. So um, we we are going to create um, to create efficiencies out of that, especially in the production. Uh, you can you can we have very very similar production all over the globe. Thirty plants that are actually actually similar but not identical. So I will always have one plant that is the best. I always have one production line that is the best. I always have one piece of equipment that is the best. Uh, and using data, I can find out why. Because I just see this 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 particular assembly assembly robot is the most productive, and then I wonder why. Because I have another eight hundred assembly robots. Why is this yeah. outstanding? And we don't know. Uh, and I think data data can uh, shed quite some light in that into that. So that's one part. The other part is really to the outside, uh, and there we are still at the beginning. So really selling digital services. Uh, it's yeah. it's tiny at the moment. Uh, okay. And we are building a platform for the charging wall box, which we then want also to use for heating, for, for, for batteries and for other products. And go in a kind of a subscription model, I think, because that's the, the dream of all, every organization today or not. Well, yeah, we have to, we have to see where our, where our genes are and our, our legacy is. Mm -hmm. 
we are pro primarily providing to the automotive, to the car makers. Now, the car makers, we are not so much B2C. The car makers probably won't allow all their suppliers to monetize their data because then if you drive a, a car, uh, you will have 3,000 3, components and each of them is digital and you as a customer get crazy. So we we, monetizing does not mean that it's a subscription model. It could mean that our an OEM is paying for services. Uh, probably not in the normal smartphone, Spotify, Netflix kind of kind of model. Yeah. So you have two heads. You have the head of the VP process optimization, uh, where I understand this 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 team is like 50, 60 people or so. Yes. In the in the company, and then you have your head as as uh, as group CIO. Can you? Uh, talk us a little bit through your IT organization. How big is it? How is it organized? Um, uh, how, how do you? What's the operating model? Mm -hmm. So we are. Um, this is also changing uh, as we speak, but it's always changing. Actually, um, it's we're about 280 people. We have mm -hmm. um, out of this 280, about 80 are in the in the uh, central uh, central headquarter. But actually, we are organized in a network. Uh, just like because I'm a big fan of, of decentralization and networks. Um, from a structure, if you look at our org charts, we have two, two vice presidents that are, one is responsible primarily for the solutions and applications, and the other one for infrastructure and technology. Okay? okay. Now, on the other hand, we are already on the ERP side, we are using a, a DevOps model. We say in the past, in the past, you would say there's some people who are developing your ERP system and the infrastructure guys have to run it. Uh, we say if you build it, you run it, uh, because because this old conflict that the developers give you half baked uh, products and then the guys who are in the operations, you know, they have to deal with downtimes and issues and so on. So this this conflict, we, we of course we also have that, but we put it into one organization and they are solving this. Uh, so this is two 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 vice presidents who are responsible for the for the functions, and then we have mm -hmm. uh, four regional uh, directors. And that's basically it. Uh, and we are moving more and more into this product-oriented organization. So we also were, were, were organized in functions like help desk and uh, uh, network and data center and so on. And now we are moving more into products. Like one product is called the digital workplace. Uh, yeah. And it includes everything. It includes everything from hardware, from SharePoint, from to Zoom, to you name it. Uh, and it includes colleagues from HR. Because you cannot, if you, if you want to make a workplace concept, you cannot only look at the technology. You have to look at communications, at human resources, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Well, what has been the impact for the last twelve months? We've been all been working from home, all been working remote. Had, I think, a big impact on the way that we work. What was the, what was for you the the downside and the upside of 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 uh, this new way of uh, of working that we have uh, now lived through for twelve months? The, the downside, let's start with the downside. It's very short. I really miss my colleagues. I, I really miss, I miss them. I haven't, especially the international ones. I haven't been mm -hmm. to China, to, to Japan, to Korea, to America, to Mexico, to France, to Portugal. I, I really miss them, uh, mm -hmm. period. Uh, you can have Zoom and you can have Teams and you can have all these, these beautiful tools, but you can, you can even have a beer virtually, but it's different. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it's different. So uh, yeah. it's just how it is. Maybe some people some people don't agree with me, but I I really miss them, and as soon as I can, I, I will try to see them again. So that's the downside. Um, the 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 uh, but but for the IT, and I think it's not only for IT at Vibasto. I think we really have shown what we can do. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, Vibasto was the first of the first uh, uh, organization in Germany where we had COVID. This was in January 2020. So we had the first COVID case in Germany. So we became very popular, um, oh. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. But also we've shown that we can handle that. Uh, so we actually, at the end of the day, we came out really well. Our reputation really has grown positively uh, mm -hmm. uh, due to the fact how, how the organization has handled that. So I think what, what, what has become evident is what you can do with digital technology. Uh, so this this was a boost. So, so our Teams rollout, we are using Microsoft Teams, our Teams rollout, we had a plan for two and a half years, you know, do it diligently, change process, educate everybody. Yeah. And we have done it in two months. Not, not, not very structured, not very professional, 
but very very fast and it's it working <laughs> uh, and I, I think this 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 uh, this has happened uh, to, to many companies and it also has uh, it's of course not only in this workplace topics but also in engineering we're using a lot of augmented reality uh, tools when I want to when I want to install a production line uh, and my engineer is from Italy and the line is in Detroit Michigan and you cannot go there now, what you're going to do? Either you don't install it, or you use tools no. like, or like like these data glasses, uh, and you direct somebody from remote. So the acceptance of these tools has increased dramatically. But at the same time, we delivered. But now, of course, this again raises the appetite for digital solutions. So, so I think when once the once this financial impact of the COVID crisis is gone, and money is available, we have huge expectations. Uh, that we have to um, deliver. Okay. And it's exciting. Are you already ex uh, experimenting with uh, AR, VR for, uh, for the kind of remote support and, and installation <coughs> and so on? Um, yes, AR for, for installation, absolutely. Um, we, we're using it and again, it's, it, it really saved our ass to some extent. Uh, because again, you, you cannot travel, but you have to support. Now, some yeah. things you can explain uh, but certain things you have to see uh, and I have to show you and with augmented reality I'm a big fan of augmented reality uh, it's incredibly powerful and don't even need these, these super glasses sometimes you can use a smartphone uh, for some okay. for some cases yeah. so absolutely and we are experimenting also with AI especially in the, on the shop floor to find anomalies uh, to do when you we have a lot of noise testing at the end of line when you open and close uh, a sunroof it can make noise, you know, squeaking noises that you don't like. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, you can measure this noise, but you cannot measure whether this noise is disturbing a human ear. Either it's disturbing or not. Uh, uh, and we use AI by um, through uh, selecting or, or sorting out those roofs that are have a high chance to disturb the human ear. Okay. Uh, we do this on a, on a pilot and it worked quite well. So we, we, we find 95% of what a, human, what a human would find. So we have 5% where we have a um, different interpretation. Okay. Let's talk a bit about your role. I mean, you have your role as the, the VP of, of, of business process organization and you have the role of, uh, of, of global CIO where you have two uh, VPs uh, that, that run their teams. What is fundamentally what your your most important added value to the company today? Hmm. Um, I would say on the one hand we are we are a traditional automo a mechanical automotive supplier, so I'm still probably holding the digital flag. This is I'm, I'm giving it more and more away to others because hmm. I mean everybody is 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 becoming uh, acquainted with this technology, so it's we, we don't have that monopoly anymore. Uh, it has it, it's gone already for quite some time. Uh, yeah. so, so I'm giving away that flag, um, but especially with this process and cross-functional issues, I would say I'm the glue, the glue between functions. So mm -hmm. whenever we have topics that are not, cannot be solved within functions, within one function, yeah. people are either coming to me or we find it out, we identify that we need to do something. And this we're doing with that organization. So let's, let's talk a bit about the role of, of a CIO. And, and on a, let's say, conceptual level. I mean, you've been in the business for, for, for quite some time now, so I, I can imagine you have a good view on this. How did you see the role of the CIO change from 10 years ago to now? And how do you see it evolving in the future? So are we still gonna have a CIO? What's the role of the CIO gonna be in 10 years if we would have a crystal ball? <clears throat> if it's so let, let's go briefly back into history. I think in the in the past, and I don't know whether it was ten years. I really have a short memory. Um, um, but but in the past, I think we typical CIO would build and operate solutions that are mm -hmm. uh, automating processes inside the company, yeah. accounting, warehouse management, production, sales, and so on and so on. Um, um, but but now these technologies become more and more easy to use. I mean, you can buy an accounting app uh, with your credit card. You can buy a CRM system with your credit card. You can't integrate it, but you but but you can buy it. Uh, there's low-code platforms available. We have people who are building their who are building their their own apps. 
Uh, and in the past, this was called shadow IT, and it was the devil, it was bad. Uh, and I say, <laughs> yeah, you anymore. can. Uh, I, I think you can try to, to stop that wave. If you have yeah. so much energy available to do that, I personally don't think it's a good idea. So the, I think as this is changing, the, the, the CIOs are actually moving more from a building a solution, uh, going into integrating and building an architecture and integrating solutions. So this integration aspect becomes more important. In integrating small pieces of applications of solutions becomes more important than building the application itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is something, and this is something that the CIOs or IT people in general can do very well based on their education, system thinking, abstraction, normalization. This is what we study. This is what we learn. Uh, so this, this whole concept of I, I draw something here. What's the effect over there? We are pretty good at this. Uh, yeah. uh, and, but what we are lacking is, is this business thinking, this process thinking. So, and of course, there's a big competition with, with other functions, if you want. Uh, so I believe that this whole thing is going to these, these, these uh, various functional disciplines. I like the Spotify model. Uh, you say the functions are actually contributing very competent people with expertise in their field. Uh, and then I have product or service teams that are actually taking these competencies and turning them into something useful. And whether this is an, an digital is one ingredient out of many. So, and the role of the CIO depends really, I think there will not be a t- prototypical CIO anymore mm-hmm. in 10 years from now. Okay. But you see that more people with a business background will be leading digital and IT in the future? I, I, think, I think this is going to happen, but also uh, this is one thing. It depends on, I mean, your, your, your knowledge portfolio will have to increase. Those people who have a business background will, will uh, increase their skill, the digital skills, and vice versa. So those with a more digital background will increase their business skills. So, um, and I think we have, they have two, and it's very interesting to watch that. CIOs are typically risk averse because we want, we, we don't want to break things. We hate downtimes. So when we look yeah. at risk reward ratio, we always tend to avoid the risk. The business guys are typically the opposite. They are more, they, they o- very often oversee the risks, uh, are very optimistic. Uh, and the question is, how do you, how do we get the best of both worlds here? Okay. So you lead a team of 280 in, in IT, 50, 60 in business processes. Um, so so that's, that's quite a number of people, quite a number of teams. What is your management style? How would you describe your management style? And, and, and what's your secret in, in building successful teams? It's, that's not so, not so simple to answer. But it, it, it uh, um, I would say, I would say transparency is mm-hmm. the number one thing. Um, um, create transparency, use facts uh, rather than stories and feelings for decision making. Feelings and emotions are important when it comes mm-hmm. to the individual person, but decisions I think should be made primarily based on facts. Uh, have shared and overlapping goals, common goals. Open communication. Uh, I, my management style, I try, when somebody comes to me with a new idea, I really try to understand the fundamentals of that idea. Also try to understand the boundaries. And often this is interpreted as questioning the idea. Uh, and I am learning, or I'm still working on it, to be honest, that how can I, how can I try to understand the idea without giving somebody the uh, impression that I'm actually questioning it? I'm not questioning it. I want to understand. And to understand, I have to ask questions. I have to ask questions, but it doesn't mean that I don't like yeah. it. Um, so that's that's one thing. The other thing is dealing, handling mistakes. Uh, I think in a in a tightly knit team, the worst thing that can happen is that people are are putting energy into hiding mistakes, and others are putting energy into finding this. So it's like playing hide and seek. You can you can you can put a lot of energy into these games. Uh, and you will end up with nothing. So we said, we try to say, let's not spend time to find out who is guilty. Uh, so let's find out, let, let's, let's fix the issue and then invest energy into preventing that this is happening again. This is typical automotive Toyota style of, of, yeah. of working. Solve a problem once and forever. Um, 
And this is what we are trying to do. And then the last thing is really when it comes to management style is give some time for an idea to mature, discuss it. This time has to be limited, of course, because otherwise we are at least we in Germany, we love discussions. We we could discuss for months. So we have to we have to give us a time limit. So we say, let's decide by until Friday. If we don't have it, if we don't have a common decision by Friday, I decide. Uh, and normally I'm the least competent. So it's better. Uh, so it's best if <laughs> you guys as a team find come to come to a decision. This does not happen very often, really. I would say I would say these are the the typical uh, the typical management methods. We have weekly stand-ups. We are we try to be very open. Have town halls. I have a CIO breakfast now with the COVID. That twice per month I have breakfast, virtual breakfast with colleagues, with administrators, and not 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 listening. Not not they are not they don't tell me about their issues. They really talk about they walked their dog yesterday and the dog ran away. Things like this, very, very everyday things. Uh, and this helps me to, to stay in touch with colleagues. Okay. How easy is it for you to attract top talent in, 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 uh, in your industry? I mean, you're in the car industry, engineering uh, business. How easy is it to, to bring IT people in that, uh, in that context? It depends very much on the, on the location. Uh, we, are, we are primarily, our headquarters based in Munich. And there we have a couple of very big players. Google is now coming. Microsoft is coming. We have BMW, Allianz, Munich Re. So um, there are a lot of companies where when, when we try to, and, and some of those are IT is at their core, is their core business. So, so when we want to compete with those, we don't want to compete on the money, on the salary, and we can't really, we, we can't. Uh, we can't do that. So there's two ways. One, one thing is don't search in Munich. <laughs> uh, go elsewhere. I mean, we, we see this. We see now for one year we are working. We we have not met colleagues. We're living next door uh, to each other, but you have never seen each other. So we we can we can work from anywhere. So that's one thing. And there are areas in Germany and in Europe uh, where there is a lot of talented people who are mm -hmm. desperately looking for a job, and we use that opportunity. That's one thing. Uh, and the other thing is. Uh, we are compared to these big companies, we are small. So if you're a data scientist or an architect, at Webasto, you are one out of three. At, you can have an impact. Yeah. And, you, and, and, and you make a difference. Uh, at other companies, you're one out of 300. Uh, and we say, hey, you, you are the same fish, but in the smaller lake. Uh, so so you, it makes a difference whether you're, you are there or not. Yeah. Uh, and these are the, the typical arguments how we how we get people um, we have fascinating product uh, cars are still fascinating it's 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 getting less fascinating to be honest younger generation is not thrilled so much by cars um, but it's still okay especially with electromobility people are fascinated by that because we associate green with it which is also not necessarily true but uh, that's just how it is um, yeah and the rest is just treat people fairly give them interesting tasks challenge them reward them give them a stage so uh, if, if somebody makes a great a great project they are going to present it to the board not me uh, and treat them as peers not as employees or underlings or whatever it's <laughs> no, no, no i had some i had some i had some uh, there's a german word for it and I try to translate it. Uh, we say, "Your uh, untergebene." I say, "Guys, this is this is 19th century." <laughs> so uh, these are your peers. These are your colleagues. Um, yeah. So um, I think this is also important. Okay. Let's talk a little bit what what drives you uh, in, uh, in 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 your profession in your life. When at the end of of a working day or a working week. When it's weekend, when do you have a good feeling? Say, well, now we've really done something. What is it that needs to happen? Well, when something, when at the end of the day, something is different than it was in the morning. Uh, something not not uh, having created a creating a presentation is not something different. Uh, so, creating PowerPoint or writing a writing a paper or something like that is not different. Um, it's really uh, we have changed something. Uh, can be small. Um, so you should have an impact on mm. on real life. Uh, that's that's for me the number one thing is change and transformation. 
on the micro level uh, and also, of course, on the macro level, on the larger scale. That's, that's okay. the thing, both, both pro professionally and personally. How would you describe your leadership style? We talked about your management style, but leadership, I think, is, is, is something different. Leadership mm -hmm. is, is uh, the, the willingness of people to follow you and to, to work for you as a person. What do you think people will say when you're not around? How do they perceive you as a leader? <laughs> um, actually, I asked that. First, first of all, I, I, I talked to my colleagues and I told them, whatever you say to me or whatever you are saying about me, you should be able to say to me. Uh, okay. And I will, I will, I will uh, highly acknowledge that. So, but they, they probably say I'm demanding, challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, challenging in terms of I challenge them, but also I sometimes I am a challenge <laughs> as a person. I'm honest and open. I quickly understand things. So if you give me a proposal and there's a flaw in it, I chances high that I find it very fast. Um, so I have to be careful with when I when I see this uh, how to how to handle that because I don't want to frustrate a person. I mean. It, uh, so it's a it's a talent that I have that I I I got over time I learned that I really have to be careful with that. So just don't don't be triumphant and say oh I found a mistake in your proposal. So be careful with how you deal with it. Sometimes they say I'm shooting from the hip, um, which means I'm too fast. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I, I guess, but but I guess I I am I'm a peer to them. Uh, at least to those who are reporting to me, we are really a, we are, we are a team. Uh, and I, I am, uh, I'm very direct, polite, but direct, but I accept, I accept and expect the same thing, really. So if I give a presentation or I have a team meeting and I have not been fair to somebody, which happens occasionally, um, uh, and somebody, I, I expect people to come to me afterwards and say, hey, Thomas, this was not, this was not right. And I say thank you, sorry. Yeah, that's my leadership style, I would guess, and how people okay. what people talk about. Now that reflects your personality, of course. And let's talk about that. You shared with us that your MBTI profile, which is a common thread in our leadership deep dive interviews, is that you are an ENFP, also known as the campaigner. And an ENFP is extroverted, intuitive, stronger on the on the feeling side, on the emotional side and you have a prospecting uh, personality. So that means that um, you keep your options open. And these people typically tend to embrace big ideas, big actions that reflect a sense of hope and goodwill towards other, others. And, and, and people with this profile, they have a vibrant energy that can flow in many directions. So very nice profile, uh, of course. So the strengths of people with your profile, and then you tell me where you recognize yourself. Are that they're curious? observant, energetic, enthusiastic, excellent communicator, they know how to relax and they can be very popular and friendly. Does that fit the bill here? Relaxing is difficult for me, really. Okay. Uh, but the rest is, I, I really have to, it sounds funny, but I really have to concentrate to relax. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, what's your method? How, how, did you, how do you relax? Um, in the past, I did sports, um, mm -hmm. especially sports, Competitive sports, not not cycling or running or swimming, because during running, cycling, swimming, I can think. I used to play basketball. Uh, if you start to think about something different, you have the ball in your face, uh, or you lose the game, or playing table tennis, or, or doing something where you have to react. You know, mm -hmm. uh, um, because then you don't have you don't obviously don't have time to think. Yeah. Now now I have a knee, I have a bad knee since two years, so basketball, I'm out of the game. I watch, I watch, but this is so I, I started to play chess again. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and on the, on the internet, you can play these fast games, ten minutes per player, and uh, I, yeah. So so there also I have to concentrate, or if I'm think if my mind is elsewhere, I lose. Very simple. So that that helps me to relax. And then of course, I mean the, the normal things. I mean uh, going out with, with with family, going going to concerts, which I don't know how that was. It's already more than a year ago. Uh, going out, uh, um, spend time with people. Let's talk a bit about chess. So you played that when you're younger, you picked it up again. What is it about chess that you like? What is it that, 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 um, that it brings that this game brings to you? 
the the endless opportunities there's there's at least for me uh, uh, the space is so big uh, that I can I will always learn new things that's one thing mm -hmm. uh, I really like this this in the past when I was a kid we were, we were playing you had like two hours for 40 moves uh, I couldn't do that anymore I don't have the patience for that but yeah. but um, this this understanding uh, finding finding patterns in a in a on, on a chessboard. I find interesting. Then, of course, this uh, getting angry about yourself when you make a stupid move, uh, um, or being triumphant, and when you yeah, when you screw up. So it uh, I and, and again, but but it's really this this endless this endless uh, space that you have. Or it's not like a it's 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 a board eight by eight uh, squares, but no. for me the the it, nothing. There's no repetition. Well, I, I play a little bit as well, so I'll I'll, I'll look you up. I, I guess yeah. you're on chess.com or some of yeah, the engines sure. there, and uh, I, I know that you're higher rated, so I'll, I'll first need to practice a little bit to to get to your level, and then we'll uh, then we'll play and, and and fight it on the board. Absolutely. Let's talk about your personality, the campaigner, the ENFP. <clears throat> um, people with this profile sometimes have the following weaknesses, and now you tell me where you uh, uh, recognize yourself. There can be. They can be people with poor practical skills. Sometimes they have it difficult to focus. They tend to overthink things. They can get stressed easily, highly emotional, and, and sometimes they are too, too independent for their own good. Which of these do you recognize and, and, and how did you overcome these? I, I think I'm very focused actually, so I, uh, okay. I don't have difficulties to focus. I, I'm very focused. I can. Uh, I can be, yeah. So um, that that I, I don't really see emotional, yes. But mm -hmm. uh, over time, you learn how to how to control emotions because it's really a weakness. I mean, especially both in business life and private life, you have to control emotions. At least, at least, uh, um, emotions can also be very positive. So it's it's a it's a uh, you have to have to handle them. Um, and, but, but I get stressed, yes. Uh, I get stressed easily because there's so many things that I find exciting. Um, I, again, I can focus, but I can switch the focus also very frequently. So you could question, is it actually focusing? Um, um, so, um, but yes, in, in general, I think, I think this, this fits quite well. But what, what I do is, uh, actually, I don't, I'm not such a big fan of these, of these, of these, uh, of these um, concepts. Because they put people into drawers, uh, and I am not a big fan of drawers. Uh, um, but but it, it's helpful, really. I, I have to admit. So what we do is we I really try to 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 surround myself with people that are different. Uh, I have some colleagues that are very firmly have their feet on the ground. They say, Thomas, wait a minute. <laughs> okay. So and and we have to and we and if you are a good team, you respect these 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 attributes, not as strength or weakness, but as sometimes useful or not useful. Uh, in some cases, it's very useful to be extroverted. In some cases, it's not. Sometimes it's very good to be intuitive. Uh, it, it really depends on the situation. If you're a good team, I always compare it to a commando unit. Sometimes you need a sharpshooter. Sometimes you need somebody who's able to drive a truck. Uh, no. And it's not good or bad. Let's talk a bit about your values. Uh, you've shared with, uh, with us that you have family and you have two grown-up boys, 21, 23. Uh, what are the values that you're passing on to your, uh, to your children? Hmm. I think number one is honesty and fairness uh, are very important to me. I think I would like to pass them self-confidence, but at the same time, be ambitious, but also be humble. Um, they should be aware how privileged they are. Um, because at least I, I'm not saying that my children are privileged, but I am privileged. I consider myself to be very uh, privileged uh, because of the because of my parents, because of the the luck that I had, because of the people that I met, uh, because of decisions that some people made uh, and that had an impact on me. So a lot of things are not actually done because it's our success. Sometimes it's really luck or coincidence, yeah. and we have to be uh, we have to be. Because uh, I, I go to some of the seminars where you, where, where young kids come and say, hey, Thomas, how did you become who you are? Uh, and I, I, I tell them, you know, honestly, there's a very certain portion of luck, 
involved. You just have to seize. I mean, you, you cannot force luck. You have, of course, you have to seize the opportunity. And when you find out it, maybe it was not luck, then you have to, to change your, your direction. But, but not everything is done because um, of my, of my accomplishments. And the, the, the most important thing to my kids is success does not make you a good person or a bad person. If you are successful and your neighbor is not, does not mean your neighbor, you're a better person than your neighbor and vice versa. So if you fail in something, does not mean that you are a good or a bad person. This is very often uh, confused and I think it's wrong. So being successful does not make somebody a good, a good person, a good member of society. Now that are the values that you pass on to your children. Um, let's talk about who you learned from. Who, who do you look up to? Who are the mentors in your life or the people that you look up to that you go uh, to for guidance? Um, well, there's, there's a lot of people that I, look, I had the opportunity to learn from. Um, when I want to look at individuals, there's on the one hand my parents, which mm -hmm. gave me a lot of values and uh, uh, basic values that made me successful and happy. That's one thing. And the other one is a, it's actually a gentleman that is, uh, and I actually didn't meet him in the, in, in the business arena, but in the sports side. His name is Holger Geschwindner. He was the mentor of a, of, of a basketball player, a German basketball player, one of the most popular basketball players in the NBA and in, in, in America. Mm -hmm. And his, uh, uh, I met him actually in sports. Uh, and he's a, he's a funny and very interesting, curious guy. And he said to me, oh, we, we had a lot, lot of discussions uh, 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 and, and he's much older, he's 20 years older than I am. Uh, so he said, don't contemplate too much about things, how things could be. He said, if you want really fun to find out, you have to try things. You have to try them out. And if they are not good for you, then, then drop them. But don't contemplate too much and later on regret that you didn't do it. Say, you try it, uh, it's good, then you, then you go on or you try it and it's not good and you, you stop it. It's very simple. And he was also very good in, in reducing complex problems to their essence and then mm -hmm. working on these few uh, core uh, factors. Uh, and we had very long and philosophical discussions, uh, he, uh, him and me, on, on that topic. Uh, and he, with this, he actually made Dirk Nowitzki one of the best basketball players uh, in, in America by, by looking at this guy is two meter ten uh, and he can shoot from the outside. This by the time 20 years ago, this was very unusual. Tall guys had to go under the basket and he said, mm -hmm. this guy can shoot. Uh, and so he was the first guy who was really consistently shooting three pointers uh, in the NBA. Uh, and that made him the differentiating factor. Uh, and he he made Dirk to the, to 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 what he became, and we had long discussions on on these these topics, finding out what's the essence of a basketball game, of a business, of a personal problem, and then tackling it. Okay, great. Now, you shared that you have grown up in a, in, in a happy environment, that you are uh, in fact a, a lucky person, uh, and so on. But if there would be one thing, what would be the best thing that ever happened in your life? I, I guess studying abroad in the U.S. was okay. was cool. one thing because it was really a turning point for me, because mm -hmm. before that I was really had no issue at school at all. I I was lazy but successful, um, moderately successful. I mean, I did not really, I, I didn't get super grades, but I didn't have, I didn't work either. So, but when I went to the U.S., I saw people really are working during the day in order to be able to pay for school in the evening. Uh, and I saw how valuable um, uh, um, education is, uh, and that really that really changed my changed my mind. Becoming more ambitious, saying, "Hey, you have a talent, and you you can't just can't just let it go. I mean, you have to use it." Uh, and that really was important to me. So, and also it brought me. Uh, it was at, at Washington D.C., a very international school. I met people from all over the world, which also opened my before that, I was primarily in northern Bavaria, uh, yeah. and it really changed my my attitude towards or opened my opened my mind towards other cultures. Wow, what a, a brilliant experience at the right time in in, in your life. Absolutely. Well, <clears throat> at the flip side, if uh, if uh, if could you share with us what was the worst thing that ever happened in your life, and 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 what did you learn from it? How did you overcome that? There was nothing fundamentally bad. Okay. So it's, and, and I also am a very positive person and I have a short memory. Uh, um, 
But I, I, I remember, I remember one situation. Um, it was in, in the business where it was a, 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 a big, a big business initiative was planned uh, and was about to be launched. Uh, and this was presented to the board, and I was part of that decision body. And I, I didn't like the proposal. I think it was flawed. It was, it was not good. And uh, but everybody loved it. And I kept my mouth shut. Uh, and because I didn't, I didn't really have good arguments. I was more belly feeling, and I kept my mouth shut. I, I went with the crowd, uh, and uh, because I didn't want to be the worry sissy kind of guy. And uh, well, shortly later, these guys that presented the proposal left the company, and I got the project, uh, and I owned it. So I. I I got all the crap thrown over the fence, and I deeply regret that I, uh, I didn't be, I wasn't prepared better for that meeting. Because mm -hmm. I mean, in that meeting, it was would have been too late to just say, "Hey, wait a minute, stop! This doesn't work." Uh, but I say, be better prepared, think, and then speak up if you have to. So it may be maybe an unpleasant moment, mm -hmm. but uh, so you can you can go with the crowd, but then you will regret for a very very long time. So this, this unpleasant moment will pass. This long time does not pass. <laughs> so this is something that I really regret. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, since then, I am, uh, doesn't mean that I'm, I'm the guy who worries about everything, but I really, that's why I, I want to understand. I want to be reasonably uh, um, secure or reasonably secure is not the right word. I want to have some, some confidence that the concept is working. Mm -hmm. before I spend millions. Okay. What is it that you fear most and love most in your life? Fear most is probably becoming irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be both both private, privately, like, um, but I'm not so, but there's no, no real reason at the moment to do so. Um, yeah. but, but, but also on the business side, becoming irrelevant. Uh, uh, what do I love most is transformation and change in a team. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be the guy, the number one guy and the followers. I want to be, I want to, to accomplish things in a team. I, I enjoy this most. Do you have a personal mantra, a saying that you can always rely on when you have to make, a, I don't know, a difficult decision or something? You say, well, that's, that's my, uh, my guiding principle. Hmm. I, I really think understanding why this mm -hmm. this uh, trying trying to find out why, especially in, in in case of conflicts, in case of difficult decisions, why is something difficult? Why does somebody want something from me, and why do I not agree? So there's in the in this uh, Harvard Harvard negotiation principles that was developed in the 70s. There is this this uh, understand the the uh, the interests of a person rather than the position uh, that somebody has. So uh, why, does, why does somebody behave uh, like he behaves? Uh, what's the reason behind it? And when you understand that, uh, very, very often you can easily find solutions. And the other one is really make other people successful. It will pay off mm -hmm. eventually, not directly. But if I make others successful, and that's, that's also true for family and, and for business, um, unless you are uh, you are surrounded by jerks, which I never was, um, um, who are taking uh, advantage of that, um, I, my 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 experience is if you make others successful, they eventually pay pay you back. Okay. Now, Thomas, I must admit you come across as a very happy person. Eh? So I, I'm really enjoying our conversation. What what is the secret to your happiness? I don't know. Uh, I think I think it's uh, uh, it's it's difficult. To, uh, it's it's part of the personality. Why are you who you are? I don't know the answer mm -hmm. to that. I, I guess my, my 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 parents. I I grew up in relatively simple. Uh, my, my family was not rich. Both were not academic. My parents were not academic. Um, I I learned very early learned to appreciate simple things, um, and so I I have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. And that's super. So, um, so that means I'm not afraid to lose things. 
I, I appreciate what I have, but if I don't have it, I could still be happy. So um, uh, it, it's difficult, really. Uh, I have to think about it and uh, come back to you, but I don't have a, a straightforward answer to that. Okay. My last question uh, for this interview, uh, Thomas, and, uh, and, and thank you so much for your time, is um, these interviews are watched by a, a lot of younger, ambitious um, uh, people in technology that want to become the digital leaders of the future. What would your advice be with your experience? You're the, the, the group CIO of a big uh, industrial company. With your experience, what, what is your advice to uh, young, ambitious uh, technology people? I guess there, there are two, er two arenas where I think you have to be good at. One is more the hard fact part. And that is, mm -hmm. here I would say, be aware that digital is only one ingredient to your cake. Uh, and if you want to make a good cake, digital or one ingredient is not sufficient. You have to understand all the ingredients. Uh, mm -hmm. This means you have to understand your environment. You have to understand your business environment, but also the people, the stakeholders. You have to understand them and build a relationship. You have to. So that's one of the hard facts. Um, understand the business that you're in. Uh, choose your boss wisely, if you can. Uh, he or she can help you tremendously, which was the case. Uh, um, in my in my career, I didn't really choose the bosses, but I would say if you have a boss that is blocking you, run away as fast as you can, if you can. Uh, so that's that's part one part. The other one is really what I also try to really pass on to my kids is this: you are in a privileged position. Uh, at least in Europe, uh, we are aging society, so you will always have the opportunity to 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 feed your family. Don't worry about that. So you're privileged. Be aware of that. Uh, be courageous, self-confident and humble. Um, and out of that position, you're in a very strong position, you can make others successful. Uh, and if you make others successful, this can be a peer, can be a boss, can be a, somebody in your team uh, uh, or a customer. <laughs> That's the best. Uh, um, it, will pay, it, will, it will eventually pay back, not maybe directly, but eventually, so it's like a it's like a bank account where you're depositing, and eventually you can also withdraw. But you have to deposit in order to be able to withdraw. <laughs> uh, and this this is my my model. Which if you do that with colleagues around you or with your peers, you will you will probably uh, make a career. Okay, great, Thomas. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom, your idea, your vision, your passion. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to. Um, well, at least having a beer in the, in the near future uh, together in Munich. And a game of chess. And a game of the, chess. The best of case, a, a, a game of chess in a beer garden. We'll, let's we'll, let's, we'll, let's we'll, do that. Let's plan that. Okay, thank you All so right. much. Bye now. Thank, thank you so much for having me, Hendrik. Thanks. It was fun. Thank you. Mm -hmm.